Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Driving Mall Show in its new home at 8pm on a Tuesday evening. Yes, that's right. This is your weekly fix of Rugby Union chat. Now, look, we don't go through all of the matches. We do that on a Sunday evening at 8pm. So if you want to have a review of all the games from the weekend, including the Bledisloe Cup, all the Farrah Palmer Cup games and the Midas 10 Cup games, then go back and listen to our review show that we do every Sunday at 8pm. You know what? You can listen to that on our Facebook page, YouTube channel, all of those kind of wonderful places. If you like to watch us and our pretty faces, or if you prefer just to listen as you're moving around, then we have a podcast as well. You can go and check that out on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of those wonderful places. Just search for New Zealand Sports Radio. So um, this evening, I am joined by the Saxpert um, and apparently that's not nothing to do with a musical instrument, but it's about stats or something. I don't know. It's all about numbers. But uh, Boa, how are you doing, sir? Very well, thanks. As always, my highlight of the week to everyone. Welcome. And I have to say, normal yeah. service resumed at Eden Park on Sunday. And boy, we had some well, a few moments of brilliance. Um, yeah, plenty to talk about, Paul. Plenty to talk about. There is plenty to talk about because we have got some, obviously got uh, um, the Bledisloe Cup action. Um, we've got the um, Springboks um, pulling out of um, the uh, Rugby Championship. Um, what else we got? Uh, we've got news around the Black Ferns um, uh, 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 games towards the end of the year. And we might even touch on some stuff that World Rugby um, has uh, talked about. Um, as well. And if you're wondering why am I looking down when I'm doing that, that's because I'm scribbling down my notes to remind myself to talk about those things because, um, yes, uh, as the uh, seat of our pants stuff this week, as I've not uh, done any pre-show notes, but we'll get through it all um, anyway. So, Bill, look, you, we, um, we, we need to have a quick chat about the Bledisloe Cup games. I say not going to de- in-depth in analysis of them because we did that last night or Sunday night, but you said coming into it that you saw that the All Blacks would be uh, putting these, the uh, Wallabies away by loads of points, and then they go and draw the first game. Um, surely a little bit of humble pie, surely, from you there, that, uh, that actually this Wallabies side is a bit better than you, uh, than, you, than you anticipated. They were, but at the same time, the All Blacks were awful first game. I think their error rate, missed tackles, they're very passive. And uh, 72%, they kicked the ball away, which is very unusual. And then... You know, fast forward one week, they dropped their kicking percentage to about 40%, and then they put 27 points. And keep in mind, um, even at Eden Park, I, 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 this is my personal view, I think the All Blacks are far from the finished product. They had, you know, sheer moments of brilliance for about, you know, two to three minutes where they went edge to edge, end to end. Um, you know, the, the Wallabies, they just looked... Uh, you know, in a different league, a much lesser league, and the All Blacks just blew them apart. Uh, but again, you know, there, there, there were a lot of errors. There were a lot of handling errors. They turned it over, and then for large periods of the second half, the last quarter specifically, you know, they were very happy to just uh, give the ball back to the Aussies and just play that passive defensive role. So there's probably a lot of work-ons, but uh, the reality is um, to beat the All Blacks, you have to 
probably have 30, 30 men on the field and hope that the All Blacks uh, play some very average footy. You're watching, you're watching a totally different game to everybody else. Um, the 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 one of these had two tr- two tries disallowed, um, which would have made it uh, to what close to 21-27, which makes it a one score game. Um, the uh, a lot of the All Blacks, um, or I think two out of the four tries were from turnovers. Um, uh, they, they 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 weren't uh, necessarily building or creating um, that much uh, or breaking down that Aussie defence particularly. Um, so I, I, you're, you're watching a different game to me. Well, um, the old, I mean, look, the, the, the Wallabies in, in game two missed 39 tackles. 39, that's right. 39 mm-hmm. tackles. At test level, you don't miss 39 tackles. And you have to say, if it was a different all backside uh, in a different sort of uh, year or era, you know, it, it would have been 75, 80 points. You don't miss almost 40 tackles. Uh, and expect to be in the pitch. And also, there, you know, I have to, I have to mention, there were some atrocious tackle techniques. Three players in particular: um, Harry Wilson, uh, the, uh, the the Fijian winger, uh, Dagunu, and of course uh, Hunter Paisami. You know, rolling into the shoulder, going chin high. And the worst part, the worst part was the officials missed them. And I, you know, I, I, I seriously have to it's say. Like- if we're talking the, about tackle technique, uh, Joe Moody has got to have the worst one. He went and got himself with his head um, in the wrong area. Yeah, well, that's that's just uh, that was just yeah, a bit of a freak uh, injury, and of course, rightly pointed, his head was you know pretty much flush on that hip bone on uh, Hannigan, and um, yeah, we just you know wish that he uh recovers very quickly from that but that didn't look good at all but i have to say the wallabies you know to miss almost 40 tackles that that is just ridiculous you do not do that even at a club game but it's um, like to miss 40 tackles and to still be in the game is is, is quite incredible i i i um I agree uh they definitely so so yeah to, to, to me um you know, the all blacks are the better side don't get me wrong um but to to to, to say that they're in a sort of different league, um, miles better. Um, I, I, I don't see that. I think the uh, they are a better side than the Wallabies, um, as I say, but I don't think they are that far ahead of the Wallabies at the moment. Um, and uh, so, hence, I think, yeah, hence a draw and um, and a competitive game, two two wonderful Test matches to watch. Uh, and I think the scoreline perhaps was bigger than perhaps the play gap um, between the two sides. I believe. Well, I, I'd like to see the All Blacks, a full-strength All Black side, uh, playing a lot more ball in hand. That's edge to edge and width of the field, more constructive set plays, and and move away from this sort of kicking game. You know, they seem to want to play large parts of the game where they play without the ball. They kick it to the opposition. Uh, move away from that and just go, you know, absolute helpful leather. It's it's, it's going to be a different. It's, it's going to be absolute carnage. So when that happens. Um, I guess we will uh, see the true reflection. Um, Aaron, don't worry, I'll come back to your comment um, But um, in, in the live chat. But um, I think part of the reason that the All Blacks do kick so much is because they're trying to create broken field play. Um, and when they create broken field play, that's when um, they, uh, they're they really dangerous. Um, and I think it's actually I think it's a specific tactic to kick the ball. It's something they were doing um, a lot under when they had Ben Smith at the back there. Was to put up contestable kicks that he could he could challenge for and create that um, uh, create that uh, as you say that so as I said that that broken field op- opportunity um, to attack when the defence isn't set because modern day defences when they're set are in- are incredibly difficult to break down um, and I think that's so so I think that's an active ta- an active attacking tactic to um, to kick it so much. Yeah, look, uh, I, I understand that. But if you look at both games, the All Blacks did three set plays, strike moves, and they scored three tries. So I have, I have absolutely no idea why they want to move away from that. And I thought the best uh, try from a set play was that very simple try, five meters out, nice flat ball. Jack Goodyear takes it right in front of his um, uh, right in front of his chin, literally bust the gain line. Very poor tackle technique from uh, I think it was James O'Connor. Sets the ball up. Aaron Smith just scoots on the short side. Try time. So yeah, but that's because you okay. You, you, there, there are two times when it's possible to 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 attack modern defenses. One is at set piece when all the forwards are basically tied up in one place, be it a line out or a scrum. 
And the second one is when that set the when the defense isn't set, which is broken field play. Um, if you go through phases, actually, um, once they're set, it can be very difficult to um, to score. And hence, that's why, yeah, you say they scored set piece play and they scored basically kick returns or broken field play, as we saw with um, Caleb Clark's break. The, but actually breaking down the, uh, a defense is extremely difficult. Most of those missed tackles were from um, were from broken field play or from set piece moves um, when you had either Caleb Clark returning kicking or Bonham Barrett um, getting out on the outside and using his pace. Those two guys accounted for a lot of the missed tackles uh, in um, in that. Um, pardon me, in that uh, in that game. But uh, but actually going through. Um, uh, getting go, going through those the 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 the, uh, um, uh, the phases, it's difficult. Um, Aaron says their problem with high kicks was that Aussies were changing lines and getting in the way of chasers. The rest were not calling it. Every team does that. <laughs> Let's be blunt here. It's not just the not just the Aussies. Um, every team uh, does that. And if the referees uh, and less us rugby um, essentially is legalised cheating. We've done a whole show about this before. Um, and if you can, if if the um, if the referee doesn't call it, then hey. Um, it's legal, uh, and uh, I say every team pushes the pushes the envelope or pushes the line or, or sees where the line is, um, uh, etc. So yeah, uh, um, to, to try and suggest that the, the, one of these are the only ones that were doing it in that game. I'm sorry, every every team tries to do it. Yeah, I'm just uh, nocturnals just put a. a, a comment there saying you need solid scrums and perfect lineouts. Yeah. Um, look, if you look at the Australian, uh, the Wallabies, the error rate, you know, they made 17 handling errors. So there was, there was ample opportunity for the All Blacks to strike from uh, scrums as well as lineouts. And they're very, you know, very, very good in the lineup. But coming back to the point about high tackles, uh, you know, the, the Wallabies tackle technique is extremely poor. It is not good enough at test level. If you saw on a number of occasions, there were plenty of Wallabies running in at and onto each other, and it looked really silly, and they were clearly going above the sternum or the nipple line. Now, for some strange reason, um, Angus Gardner and also Paul Williams, a number of instances, for example, I think it was the eighth minute when Caleb Clark made that siding great straight to the middle, Hunter Paisami comes in, swings with his shoulder, and he makes contact with shoulder and, of course, the forearm of Caleb Clark. And Clark bumps him off and he puts him on his backside. He then gets up again, goes towards the left edge, right in front of the touch judge. And then just before the whistle goes off, there was an advantage for a knock-on. Big swinging arm onto Adi Severe. Now, all this was missed. But the point I'm trying to make is, you know, Wallabies, they, they've been working on some sort of weird technique, wanting to go high, you know, confine the space or limit what the All Blacks can do with the offload. But clearly, it was an absolute fail because 39 missed tackles. Yep. Um, it was, um, it, it, yeah, it, there were a lot of missed tackles, absolutely. And tackle, tackle technique does, uh, does need to improve. Another thing we need to remember about both of these sides is, look, where are we in the... World uh, Rugby World Cup cycle. We are um, where this, basically they, these are the first tests we've had since since the World Cup. Both sides bringing in um, new players after players have either retired or gone overseas. Um, players like Caleb Clark, that year, um, uh, trying to remember who else was was on the pitch. Um, and Jordy Barrett playing a bigger role or in a new role. Uh, Rico Iwani in a new role um, over those two games also as as, as um, some examples. Uh, Hodgman was also new from, from the All Blacks. Similarly, the Wallabies got a whole bunch of, um, I think they had five or was it seven uh, debutants in that first test match. So look, both of these sides are have got a lot of, um, to improve on. They're very raw at the moment. So we should expect uh, a certain level of, of, of error rate or their attack structures not to be fine-tuned by <laughs> at all at this stage because we are four years away from every World Cup. It is These are... Um, these are new sites. Um, I do want to just go back um, to to one of uh, uh, Aaron's comments. He said, yeah, two tries disallowed. Um, one was held up. The other was illegal movement. Absolutely, they were both um, they were both correctly disallowed. I wasn't saying that they should they should have been given. What I'm saying is that the the Wallabies were that close to getting another 14 points. They were, it, they were it, some, it, the scoreline. They they could easily have had more points than they had. They, they left points out there. 
And it, it, interestingly, you can see the pattern here when it comes to the official, uh, the, the referees and the TMOs. And, you know, this is not really a criticism of anything. It's just a observation, so to speak. They seem to be getting all the technical stuff. They seem to be able to pick the bones right of all the technical decisions, but they seem to miss the really simple stuff, like the high shots right in front of the eyes, a foot on touch, real simple things like that. Hopefully, hopefully, this is being discussed at HQ in much simpler terms, and this gets fixed real quickly because, you know, at the professional level, these these guys, they get paid. This is what they do for a living. If, they, if they're able to pick the real technical stuff, to pick the bones out of the hard stuff and be missing the real simple stuff, we've got a problem. We certainly yeah, have a problem. And, it, I mean, one, one of the things that um, that uh, Nigel Owens has said before is that, look, there is, there is so much... Uh, he, he could find a, a, a basically an infringement every single ruck if he wanted to. It's about deciding what which ones have impacted play. Also, the the law book for for rugby is just way too complex. There's too many things for referees really um, to be um, uh, to be looking at. Let's be honest, uh, and that, so that's one of the one of the um, things you got to say around. Oh, I've gone blank. The ex New Zealand rugby CEO, also Welsh CEO. Um, that we had in the show a couple of about a month or so ago now, uh, with his rugby um, fourteen or um, idea. Rugby rules, yeah, rugby David. Rule. Um, it was just a matter of uh, of just slimming down that law book so that referees can actually referee an inf- all of the laws because no, they can't. There's just too much for them to look at uh, and to concentrate on. Yeah, Paul, what, what I'm trying to allude to is I, I completely get all of that. And, you know, I, I get that there are certain areas of the game which which need to be simplified. And that's more to do with the lawmakers. But what I'm talking about is not being able to pick, you know, forward pass, a simple high shot, you know, foot in touch, that sort of stuff. But yet we keep – I'll give you a really good example. Last year, uh, World Rugby come along and changed the rule where you can't score a try anymore by grounding the ball against the paddy. Now, this is a very obscure rule. I've seen maybe a handful of tries scored in the last 20 years of Test Rugby. But yet, there are so many blatantly obvious areas in the game which are so messy, they don't change that. So, this is where the issue is. So, rather than focus on all the nitty-gritty rules which might come up once in 100 years of Test footy, let's focus on the simple stuff. And I was extremely unhappy about this whole high tackle and high shot incident because last year at the Rugby World Cup, we saw yellow, red, penalty after penalty. There's so much focus. I know all of a sudden that's gone out the window. And I, I seriously question whether, you know, this whole uh, card they talk about, a card they play about player safety is actually being seriously taken. Uh, oh, well, uh, that's, that's, that's a yes. We'll, we'll get on to that one in a second. Um, Aaron here uh, makes the point, yeah, Northern Hemisphere rest would have picked um, these um, these things, um, he thinks. Now, yes, there's definitely a different style of refereeing between the Super Rugby refs and the Northern Hemisphere and the European Hemisphere refs. Um, I don't really say Northern because um, let's 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 let, let's let's actually get 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 down to what it really is. It's Europe and rest of the world. Um, but the Super Rugby refs and the and the European refs, the difference is the uh, su- the Super Rugby refs are encouraged to let things flow more. The European refs um, are encouraged, I think, to be more pernickety or not predictive, but more precise, so I say, around some of these, around the laws, rather than let it flow. And so you do end up with this different, um, different styles of refereeing. Obviously, due to COVID, we're not going to see European refs come down for test matches like we would normally do um, in to the Rugby Championship and also to um, the Blenheim Cup games. Hence, we've had um, non-neutral uh, referees. We've had a, an Auss- uh, a Kiwi and an Aussie refereeing Blenheim Cups, which you would never see normally. Um, uh, but it's down to COVID and obviously quarantining and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so yes, yeah, I think you're really quite right that we've seen that because of the because of the referees we've had available um, to us. Now, does World Rugby care about player welfare? Um, yes and no. But the um, the main reason they care about play, care about player welfare is they don't want to be sued. <laughs> at the end of the day, um, and as long as they've got their their backsides covered from a legal point of view. Hey guys, go for it, pretty much. Um, and uh, uh, and that's then it's that legal reason which is why Nocturnal rights they are not going to go for your advocation of let the players sort out 
um, the break the breakdown out. No, because um, legally they can't. Hence, the whole point of the the change of of, of um, scrumbles was because a couple of um, players at um, what's for uh, um, grassroots level ended up with serious injuries and sued rugby because of it. And hence, that's why we have the crouch touch hold or and all of that kind of piece in there now around scrums rather than the old style where they just sort of come together. Um, whether that makes them more or less stable is is, is up for debate. Um, the Again, the tackle framework in the cards now is about lit- lit- litigation. It's not really about play welfare. Um, yeah, look, uh, this this is something I've been working on for the last four and a half years with my STF, safe tackle framework. Again, the whole problem here is this whole uh, high tackle framework. It's you know it looks great on a presentation, but it's just not pragmatic in 99% instances, especially at test rugby on the playing field. So you have to simplify this. You have to simplify this. And also players, coaches need to be educated and they need to prepare to make sure that they're compliant in a slightly different manner. Again, simplifying. What I saw on Sunday was a clear disregard to, uh, you know, the, the very existing framework. I mean, I, you know, guys, if you can go have a look at that um, first half break where Caleb Clark goes straight through, you had the, the Wallaby uh, Hunter Paisami coming around, swinging with an elbow, and then going to the edge where there was R.D. Severe. You know, it was all this happened right in front of the New Zealand touch judge. Now, again, uh, the, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, stuff on social media talking about bias and whatnot. I don't think that is absolutely at all correct. You know, uh, in, in the professional era, it doesn't matter whether you're a, a local referee because you get paid to do the job. You are a professional. You need to be refereeing. And I had absolutely no issue with Angus Gardner refereeing as well. In fact, I think he's one of the best in the world. But you saw, you saw how he didn't pick that foot in touch when Rico Ioane on that left edge. And he was looking straight at it. These are the issues which need to be looked at. Now, if the TMO needs to step in and say, look, Angus, I think there's a foot in touch, son. Just call it. It's pretty simple. You know, don't let things to just kind of gloss over. Don't skirt it over. These are the simpler things. And by doing this, I think you're going to have far more fan engagement and the game will get simplified and you're going to see far more people engage and new fans come into the sport. Now, coming back to what you were talking about, litigation. Paul, it's only it's only a matter of time before we see some sort of serious litigation because, again, you have this so-called framework and if the very referees to enforce this framework and to enforce it and someone picks up a very serious injury that's when the whole proverbial would hit the fan yes but at least but 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 some um, world rugby has covered its backside by saying well the referee should have been doing this sue the referee don't sue us um so that as far as they're concerned yeah they, they've got the framework in place to look after themselves not necessarily look after the the uh the players or the referees that's um from that point of view um there um but yes you one point there you, you mentioned in passing uh, at the end there was about bringing new players into the game well sorry not bringing new players bring new fans into the games um let's be honest if you're sat there with someone who doesn't understand rugby you can spend the whole game just explaining what the hell's going on and, and at the end of the game they still haven't got a clue <laughs> because it is such a complex sport. Now, for some reason, for, for, from some point of view, that's lovely because of, we can't enjoy it. Um, and as a as an avid fan, it's great, but it does make it partially inaccessible to um, the casual fan um, to understand what's going on. I think, look, the miking up of referees so that um, they explain what's going on, um, the series of now clearer hand gestures from referees that... Um, that, that allow the commentators to be able to say what has happened or what 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 their call is. Um, unfortunately, re, um, commentators tend to uh, still get it wrong um, when you can see the referee signalling something, but because they've got so much going on in their ears, um, we hear the referee go uh, in from the side, and they were like, "Oh, I, I don't think that was not releasing," um, because they was because if you ever listen to if you ever get the chance to listen to what a commentator has going on in their ears from the directors, from a cameraman, it's just chaos. Um, and it's amazing it to concentrate on, on 
to um to, to commentate to be honest um the um but Aaron has got this brilliant one um he's wondering is it harder to explain cricket or rugby um to a novice um cricket again another game that um is uh seems to be deliberately complex um to try and explain to someone as to what's going on um but hey uh <laughs> there we go Paul, Paul, one, one thing I have to say is, and I think Nocturne alluded to the whole player sorting out the breakdown. Now, again, the breakdown is one very fundamental area in the game, which is, you know, turned into a real mess. Once upon a time, if you're on the wrong side of the ruck, you would get rucked out. It's a brilliant rule. And then that got, you know, kind of diluted down into raking, and then that got completely taken out of the game. And now it's completely illegal. The issue here is... The way the breakdown is being policed is very inconsistent right around the world. Depending on where you play, it gets policed different. Now, I remember talking to Peter Marshall, the former Australian referee, the great Peter Marshall. And one thing he made very clear was at the breakdown, he's very vocal to players and he would say, leave it, leave it, let it come. <laughs> I know that sounds quite funny. Let it come. Let the ball come out. And if someone was infringing, he'd say, out, out, away, away. And he'd be very, very, very vocal and clear. And that was one way he managed to sort out the ruck. But if you look at most games uh, in the current context, where the focus is, is the, you know, the, the, the wrong areas, the, the areas which are very obscure. Um, you know, there was a, there was a, you said there was a try disallowed, I'm just, you know, double movement, rightly so. But again, you know, unless you actually know the rules inside out of rugby, you know, for, for your casual fan, it's a try all day. Uh, but yet, there were very simple areas of the game which were, which were being missed, where people were taken late out of the, uh, you know, after a kick, um, you know, people being taken out in the ruck. Uh, more, uh, we saw Hannigan oh. come around a mall, same infringement twice, it was very deliberate. Uh, it's what you call a professional foul. Um, and there were, there were a number of things like that. Yet, all these things get given the slip, but yet they will pick on the most obscure rules, which I'm, I'm starting to go on and on like a broken record now, which clearly is, is getting under the skin of your diehard hardcore fans. Uh, look, at, at the moment, to me, I'm not a great fan of the referee coaching during a game, right? These players know they shouldn't be doing this, but they're doing it to see how much you'll let them get away with. So if you don't let them get away with anything, they'll stop doing it. There's very little there that's accidental, right? <laughs> Those players are deliberately in the way. They're deliberately getting there, um, doing, doing an awful lot of stuff. Um, and when you're, when you're saying, oh, uh, leave it now, leave it now, mate, they know they should be leaving it now. They, <laughs> they're fully aware they shouldn't be touching that ball. Um, so to me, yeah, just blow it. And if you blow it harshly, uh, the, the players will learn very quickly and they'll, and they'll change how they play. But yeah, look at that. Uh, one thing, uh, we've been one of the things we've been banging on about on this channel for a number of uh, for a number of years now. Oops, I think uh, Boa has uh, has frozen on me, um, or I've frozen. But um, go back on, again, go on, you're back. Well, well, one thing I have to say is, um, you know, with with all this technology, with all this talk, with all this, you know, trying to simplify the game, has the refereeing improved? Okay, now I'm not talking about I'm not talking about grassroots or volunteer stuff or you know weekends. I'm talking about professional game, the professional referees who get paid to do it. Has it has it become any less controversial? No, it hasn't. It's it's got even more complicated. It's got more complex. So so the point I'm trying to make is I think what what is being done and how it's being done is the wrong thing. If you keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result, that's insanity. So if you want to change the result, you got to change what you're doing, how these referees are trained, what they're looking for. And, of course, the game needs to be simplified. Now, that is entirely up to the lawmakers at HQ with WR. The other now, the other, the other, other point I have to... Um, just, just before you go, talking about that stuff from WR. Now, we may or we may not see a change, but um, what they have done is on all of their boards now, they have added... Um, people from each of the uh, they they now have a union representative or someone from the unions someone from um the players and someone from the female side 
onto all of their uh, all of their boards. So hopefully, we'll 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 see some changes and some uh, around how they do uh, do that um, do that piece. Um, I love Simon's uh, suggestion here. We need Google and Amazon to develop robots for the refereeing. Um, and we still wouldn't be happy. You know what? Perhaps that's what we need. The, uh, we need we a, 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 an extra an extra TMO, which is artificial intelligence, um, and there's some machine learning. Well, on, Simon, uh, look, Simon. What, what what I'm trying to say is the game needs to be you know refereed in simple terms. The best yeah. example I give you is the use it to lose it. You take five different referees in five different competitions the way they blow it. They say use it. You know, if you don't use it, you lose it. 15 seconds later, the ball is still stuck in the back of the round. <laughs> no, that's the same across all of them. No referee ever. I, we've, I think I've, I've heard of one referee once blowing for that. Um, and when he did it, he did it. He, he apologized. He was really kind of like, do I, do I really have to blow you for this? You're right. No, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff like that. Yeah, that should be. There's, a, there's, 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 there's the law book. And then there's how games referee. And they are two different things. Let's be blunt. Yeah, and, and, and Nocturnal, look, I, I absolutely, you know, I have, I have the greatest amount of respect for referees. But the point I'm trying to make is, um, you know, there's an uncomfortable truth, which at the professional level, uh, professional referees are, you know, still making a lot of very basic errors. And we need to have a constructive conversation um, about where and how these errors are being made and how these guys are being coached. Because... You know, if, if it if it comes down to players or, or coaches, for example, Rico Ioane after his indiscretion, he was gone. Um, you know, if if that is the same level of professional accountability to these professional refs, then we need to see some kind of uh, system and process in place which is actually working and helping to improve the game. And if these guys need help, and if they actually need to be educated or looking at how to educate themselves in a different way, then that needs to be done. I don't think that's being done. And that is the reason why we're starting to see more and more blunders, which are, you know, and I, I'm not talking about the real complex. I'm talking about the real basic stuff. I, I, I don't think we're seeing any more blunders than we've ever seen. Um, the, maybe a few, a few around the fact that the game is sped up, so it's harder to, and um, so it's harder to spot so much so, so with, with so many bodies flying around. But um, uh, look, I think what we're seeing is, Social media people uh, and people making mountains out of mole hills around some of this stuff as well, and just not accepting that referees are human uh, and will make mistakes. So I think they, I'm not sure the error rate has gone up that much. I think they are more professional. They do have more reviews around what they do. They do train better. So they can well, we we so, had a very clear foot in touch with, with a touch yeah. judge looking straight down. All the TMO had to say was, "Hey, look, uh, touchy." Put in touch. Let's bring it back. No, agreed. And, 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 and there are questions around how much the ref, the TMO can and cannot involve themselves. I think they should basically be a four, a third assistant referee that whatever they see, they can call, just like any yep. other assistant referees. But unfortunately, the that's not what is allowed uh, as part of the protocols for the TMO. The TMO probably is not um, actually for that one because I think it was within uh, a couple, well, within a phase or two of a try. He probably could have called that one back. But on the whole, he's um, generally not. Um, the uh, as Jordan Clark says, well, you can talk referees until you're blue in the face, um, but they all have the style of their own. And if we're not careful, we are going to talk until we're blue in the face. So perhaps we should move on and have a chat about some other some other stuff um, as well. Um, so Blackburns, so they've got three games coming up. Well, actually, they don't. They have two games coming up, um, but some. Um, there are three games for the women's international side. We have a possibles versus probables on Saturday, the November the 7th. Um, great to get back to that style of uh, that historic style of game. I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. Followed up by um, two um, games, Blackferns versus New Zealand Barbarians on the 14th of November and then on the 21st. So the first two, well, one in North Harbour Stadium, then in Trust Arena over in Waitakere. So two in the Auckland, greater Auckland area. Um, and then the third one down in um, Nelson. Um, I do know that um, Nelson had been due to host a test match between the Black Ferns um, and England. Um, unfortunately, because of COVID, obviously, uh, England and the Wallaroos aren't able to um, to tour. Uh, and hence, that's why we've got these internal fixtures. But it's great. To, it's good to see 
um, that New Zealand Rugby is putting the, together these internal fixtures for um, our top-level women to play, isn't it? Oh, it's fantastic, and especially with the Women's Rugby World Cup happening uh, next year, I think it's, it's just huge, wonderful opportunity, and I think uh, NZR should really focus on taking the game to the provinces, making sure that, you know there's a lot of fan engagement, and of course, what a wonderful opportunity for these players. And um, yeah, it is a bit of a shame that the uh, English Women's Rugby team can't make it. But there's plenty of talent within the country. So going back to the probables, the possibles type of games, long may it continue. More, please. So, and the 2023 Rugby World Cup, which is what they're calling it now, personally, um, whilst I understand that they're trying to call it the Rugby World Cup, um, well, to, to show equality um, between them, I think we should have a men's Rugby World Cup and a women's Rugby World Cup rather than just dropping women off because otherwise it's confusing to fans uh, but maybe it's also a marketing thing that you can make. That's, uh, but anyway, um, so 2023 Rugby World Cup is obviously the Women's Rugby World Cup. Um, and um, oh, that's 20, no, 2023, sorry, that's the that's the men's one. I'm talking about. Um, 2021 is the one I'm looking for, not 2023. Yeah. That's my, my um, um, is, um, sorry, is the, um, and it's gonna, it's due to be held between the 18th and the of September and the um, 16th of October. Um, so, um, around about this sort of time, really, or, or will have just the, the, the final will have just happened about a week ago. Um, just so, if you haven't figured out, folks, um, what that basically means is what are, how are the girls, how are the women or the girls going to um, prepare for this when uh, basically they have club competition at the first half of the year, um, and then essentially their pre rugby world cup camp will be at the same time as the Farrah Palmer Cup. So, um I'm really uh, looking forward. I'm really looking, waiting to see what the um, uh, what are using rugby going to do for preparation because they can't just go from club rugby straight into camp uh, and play women's rugby and play international rugby. There's got to be something they've got to put together for next the, the first half of next year, hasn't there? Yeah, totally. And, and and again, this is why it's important that uh, you know they look at a, a plan where they can take some of these games. And hopefully they put plenty of these games together in preparation um, within teams and within squads in New Zealand. Take the provinces, uh, get get fan engagement, get people right behind it, and just make sure that they're well um, tuned up, have their preparations in place. Um, and and look, uh, the way things are going, who knows? We you know we might see uh, a more compacted World Cup with. Not as many teams competing because of travel restrictions and quarantine, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But let's hope that is not the case. Yeah, let's hope they can get to, they, they they can uh, even if the the qualifying tournaments are difficult to do that they actually get uh, they do they they bring enough uh, yeah bring you say all the teams in. Um, just be aware. Currently, we um, from Africa they've got South Africa and Kenya have qualified um, from the Americas. Uh, Canada, the USA, and Colombia um, have qualified. Um, from Asia, there are two. There are two. There are two um, places from there. Um, one of them from the uh, repechage, but um, it's come through that have yet to be assigned. Um, from Europe, we have England, France, and Wales. Um, there are two more to come from Europe. Uh, from Oceania, Australia, New Zealand, and Fiji, with one more from Oceania to qualify. So that's um, so we've still got five more teams that need to qualify for the Rugby World Cup in 2021, um, and it will be interesting to see who or or how. Um, that um, that happens, um, but what I'm thinking is, look, over in Australia they have Super W, which is a four-team women's competition around their four Super Rugby franchises. You know, obviously excluding the the uh, the force um, at the moment, um, and uh, yeah, that's exactly what uh, so I'm saying. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some sort of Super Rugby competition um, put together now. Um, if we the, the, the problem with that is at the moment is that let's be honest the Highlanders um, franchise uh, the Highlanders uh, in South Africa you've got um, uh, the Crusaders Otago uh, Southland have a team Otago and Tasman both aren't really up to it um, uh, in the in the North Island we're looking at Manawatu Manawatu uh, so 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 Manawatu is the other South uh, Conference qualifier for um, the uh, uh, for the Farrah Palmer Cup semi-finals. Up north, um, with um, the strength of Auckland counties, um, Northland, uh, Waikato, um, Blair Plenty, you can see you can see how you could definitely get an Auckland and a, a Chiefs team together. Maybe 
actually having a French, maybe having one of those ones in Manawa two, Wellington, um, and then Christchurch might be the five sort of Auckland, Whitecaps, Auckland, Hamilton, um, Palmerston North, Wellington, uh, and Christchurch might be the way to do it rather than uh, try and do a, try and map exactly the same as the uh, the men's Super Rugby. Um, but we'll have to wait and see uh, how that all kind of pans out. But I do think we need some sort of um, super ro- super W Altaroa um, to give the uh, the women the right kind of uh, preparation ahead of the Rugby World Cup. Um, but uh, and and there have been kind of rumours that something was going to come, what was going to be put in place. Clearly, COVID uh, and the loss of revenue that Museum Rugby have had has. Um, Kind of put a damper on that, uh, and we'll, we'll we'll try and see what we can uh, uh, find out from our union contacts over the coming months. Um, on the women's side, World Rugby have also um, given their guidelines on um, uh, trans women's um, participation in that, uh, which is interesting. Uh, we're talking about, as you said earlier, why uh, why did rugby, World Rugby get involved in, in in scoring against the pads bottom of the post? Did it really need? Did it really need a, um, them to get involved there? Is it something that happens so regularly? Again, we've not heard of any trans women that I'm aware of, anyway, playing at international level. But somehow, for some reason, Super, um, World Rugby has gone and um, got involved in. Let's be honest, what is a uh, cutting edge issue um, in sport? And that's why rugby rugby union is not known for its. Uh, uh, we've always known for its traditional values and trying to avoid getting involved in cutting edge issues. Um, so, uh, look, this is a complicated one, folks. It's not simple. Um, but uh, World Rugby have basically their guidelines are that trans women cannot take part in international rugby, trans men can, um, and that they um, have suggested uh, that um, the unions believe that uh, don't allow trans women to take part in. Uh, club rugby competition, but uh, a number of unions have already said no, they're not going to enforce that and they're going to stay the way they are. So there we go. Look, rugby, I understand the the, the, the situation around safety, but let's but um, if we talk about safety, we look at the Farrah Palmer Cup, we've got some of some of some of the players are literally, literally twice the weight of some of the other players already. Um, without um, so it's, a, it's supposed to be a game for all shapes and sizes. Um, you've got to say actually. Should you really have players half the weight of others on the same rugby pitch, which we do see at Farrah Palmer Cup level? I don't know. Um, I'm not sure that, uh, that uh, uh, again, nocturnal rights suggests it's litigation. But anyway, um, we'll see how this develops over the coming years. As I say, it's cutting edge at the moment. The research still needs to be done more of, um, but uh, so that's come up. Yeah, Paul. That's that's look. That's that's a very valid point. I mean, I've, I've been doing a little bit of reading around the scientific literature about this whole, you know, transgender uh, athletes, especially in contact and um, uh, you know things like unarmed combat sport, so on and so forth. And some very interesting literature coming out. So, from a safety point of view, um, yeah, you know, I think this has this is this is probably a very uh, you know, politically uh, correct and very politically sensitive, uh, socially sensitive issue as well. Um, so, yeah, I just you know, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a little bit reserved and quite hesitant to actually jump into this whatsoever without actually uh, doing some solid reading around the scientific literature. But you know, safety is paramount, and um, hopefully there will be uh, some logical guidance around what future decisions are made in respect to this uh, policy making. And let's hope, you know, it's just simple logic prevails as opposed to trying to further complicate this game. Yeah, and look, it's something they've, they've, they've said that they will be revisiting on an annual basis because, it, it, like you say, um, the literature around it is, uh, is uh, and the research around it is still very new. I think one of the problems we do have is that a lot of people are commenting, commenting on it without having... Um, read or having any knowledge of the research um, in, in, in this particular space. Uh, and that's why, as I say, as you can tell, I'm hedging my my comments both ways as, again, I don't feel qualified enough. I'm qualified enough, though I've read enough, to know that I'm not qualified enough to comment on it. 
I guess is where, is where I'm at. Well, there's, there's, there's uh, two of us. You know, give, give, give yep. me another four to five weeks because, as I said, I'm especially with uh, Safe Tackle Framework work, I'm doing, um, doing actually quite a bit of reading around this, trying to understand where the science, where the logic, and where the uh, evidence, so that we can actually make some informed decisions. So, yep. what's this space? Exactly. Um, Let's move on then to the Rugby Championship and the Springboks have pulled out of the Rugby Championship. Now, John O'Connor um, was on the show a couple of weeks ago and he's, well, a week or so ago, and he mentioned that he thought that if the um, Springboks pulled out of this, this was an indication uh, that uh, they were heading north um, and that basically, look, this is the end of the Rugby Championship. This is the end of Springboks as part of Sanzar. They've got their place in, in the Six Nations. What is your view? Do you think we can read more into it? Or is this just a one-off this year, the Springboks pulling out? No, definitely. There is, there is very clear intent here. They want to go up north. There's been a lot of banter, especially on social media, about the, the Springboks uh, boycotting. And uh, so there's been certain quarters saying chickening out. And uh, <laughs> the, the, I, I was actually talking to a very avid all-black fan the other day. And he said, oh, guess what? Springboks are going to take up dodgeball. Maybe they should be the. <laughs> but but look, I've I've got a slightly different take on it. Um, the immediate concern is obviously you know financially, Saru are, are really struggling, so I don't know how much more financial uh, stress this uh, non-participation boycott called Pochume of the Springboks is going to do to the union. And of course, at some point, um, you know this will affect the players' pay packets. So there's there's the definitely that element. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm actually really disappointed that the Springboks are not there. Was, I was actually really looking forward to uh, Springboks being in the championship. And I just wanted to see, uh, you know, uh, 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 some of these good old-fashioned rivalries come back to life. Fortunately, that's not going to happen. Um, and look, end of the day, they are the world champions. And yeah, they could be underdone. They came up with this, uh, you know, fanciful theory saying they need at least... 400 minutes per player for high performance to be playing test rugby. All that is wonderful and great. But end of the day, you know, if you're a rugby team, you need to be out there playing rugby. And uh, it's it's from, from a fan's point of view, it's extremely disappointing. Um, but it is what it is, Paul. It is what it is. It is. Now, one of the things that's... Um, so, again, I, I, I'm, I'm saying, yeah, very disappointed that they're not going to play there um, from, a, from, from a sort of spectator point of view. Now, um, one of the suggestions that John, uh, um, he was talking about yeah, preserving the reputation, all that kind of stuff, um, rather than necessarily being all about uh, player welfare. And I think there's definitely an element of that. But also, um, I don't think it's it's apparently not going to be the financial hit that we all kind of assumed. Um, so according to um, somebody from Daily Maverick, who um, the sports editor, Craig Ray, um, now, no idea. It's not a it's not a source that I'm that, that I'm overly aware of, so I don't know how um, uh, kind of uh, how much we can um, uh, how valid this is. But he, according to this one, um, the South Korea would have earned 189 million rand. Now I don't know what, how much that is in real money, um, as it were, or in, or in a currency that I understand. Shall I say rather than real money? That's a bit a bit harsh. Um, so um, that's a lot of money. The, uh, that's, that's a lot of money. Okay, but in reality, apparently, what they will earn is 130 million, even though they don't take part. So they're only miss they're kind of only missing out on um, 59 uh, million rand, not the whole 189. If you think they've also got, um, in theory, the Lions tour coming next year, which is one, it, which is the biggest earner for Southern Hemisphere countries. I mean, New Zealand's talked about the fact that basically it's a 12-year top-up um, that they then have to eke out over the next 12 years because they get such a big a big income from it um you can actually say that look yes they're they're, they're in trouble but they can see where the money's coming from without having to go to the six nations so i mean so i, I i'm i'm not so convinced that this is a this is a yes south Africa would like to play in the six nations don't get me wrong but i still i don't think this is a clear indication that it's a done deal yeah, and, and all the other thing i have to say is you know, um, sorry, what I was going to say is I think, you know, we need to congratulate and commend Argentina for the very fact that, you know, they're being professional about the whole thing and they're turning up and they are uh, fulfilling their professional obligations. 
under tremendous, uh, you know, uh, stress, pressure, and the current prevailing climate. So, uh, look, you know, the Springboks should have showed up. They should have sent possibly uh, a, a second string, third string team. Doesn't matter. I mean, at the end of the day, you're a rugby team. What do you do? You're supposed to play rugby. Um, so, yeah, look, it's just, to me, it's just a little bit uh, hypocritical because, this, uh, you know, the Springboks and especially the fans tend to uh, blame and have a go at New Zealand fans, <laughs> all black fans, of being self-centred. But this is a classic case of them wanting to look after their reputation, uh, a bit of self-preservation. And uh, the, obviously, the easiest way to hang on to being um, undefeated um, after the World Cup is not to play any rugby at all, and you know if if uh, if, if if we have if we if we have a, a you know a significant um, outbreak of a pandemic, which is possible, maybe they could go World Cup to World Cup being undefeated without playing any rugby. How's that for? That's <laughs> just I just my undefeated MMA record is is forever. I've never been defeated in in, in the octagon. I've also never set, 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 set foot inside an octagon, and I wouldn't. Um, but there you go. Yes, there is another one of that. You, you, uh, yes, I, I, I can see that. Um, it is disappointing. Uh, yeah, you've got to say congratulations to Argentina for turning up. Look, and they are, let's be honest, um, uh, are in, are in a, uh, yeah, let's, we, we wouldn't expect the Haguaris to, or sorry, the, the, the Pumas um, to beat the All Blacks. Um, and we wouldn't expect them to, you know, they, they, they haven't done in however many years they've been playing. Um, their wins against the Wallabies are few and far between as well, but under this situation where they've um, where they've had no no warm up games at all, their only warm up game, from my understanding, is this weekend against the Waratahs. Um, now, will the Waratahs even have their Wallabies players available? I don't know. Um, the uh, so yes, I, I, I'll be um, uh, it, it, good luck to the Pumas. I hope they put up a fight. Uh, I'm sure they will try to, but I think. All of the all the cards are stacked against them here in this one, um, and uh, let's just hope they're as as competitive as they can be. In all honesty, um, let's look. Let's just look. The head coach has had COVID. I think some of the players might have had COVID uh, as as well. They've had to recover from that, um, and uh, yeah. So look, it has been uh, to to say it's been far from ideal is is uh, is to put it mildly. It's been a very very difficult and poor um, one for them. Yeah, look, they've, they've had setback after setback. You know, they've had multiple issues with people testing positive. You know, they had to be isolated. Uh, but again, in the professional era, this is the, you know, living ex epitome, you know, the example of a team fulfilling their professional obligation, something probably the Springboks and South African Rugby Union could learn a thing or two. But extremely disappointing, but I think we should move on from this one. Yeah, so, so how could we fill the gap? Well, I'm not talking about this. Could the teams be, um, play Aussie rep sides um, in the gaps? Possibly. Um, but I think Aussie barbarians, look, the Australia doesn't have a, I mean, the shoot shield is going on at the moment. There's a club competition, but it doesn't have a minor 10 cup at the moment. Um, but yeah, a barbarian side, I think, would, would um, to fill the gap would be um, would be fantastic, uh, personally. Uh, make them sort of exhibition games. Allow the, I mean, look, we've already heard that the, um, the All Blacks are going to be taking an extended squad over to Australia um, because of quarantine restrictions. So um, now whether that's still it's still the case with the sort of travel corridor that's been mentioned, I've, got, no, I've, been honest, I've not really seen the news around this. So I don't know um, the details around that, uh, that, that, that travel corridor thing, um, whether that's still the case. But look, it would give the extended squad uh, players a chance to play rather than just going across Australia um, and basically warming the bench for a month and a half or however long it is that the tournament's going on for. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'd be all for a Barbarians uh, and some sort of exhibition um, games to be played in their off weekends. Yeah, I mean, Paul, uh, another uh, you know possibility would have been to uh, get residential Pacific Islands players who are based in um, New Zealand, Australia, to form a 15 um, and be involved in some form or shape, maybe a couple of games, possibly against the Pumas, uh, but again, you know, there's there's all these financial and professional contracts sitting in the background. Um, a few yeah, I mean, look, a friend, friend of ours, um, Dwayne, um, who is uh, obviously down in uh, playing for uh, for Tasman, uh, is the um, uh, Samoan current number nine. Would Tasman have given him that contract if they knew they were going to lose him during uh, the rugby championship to go play for a Barbarians team? 
Possibly not. Probably not, in all honesty. So is he going to make himself available for that when he's got this professional contract for, for a maybe? Um, you've got to say uh, you, he's, he's got to go where the money is. And, uh, yeah, I, I think expecting a to be able to pull together a, um, what do you call it? Uh, I've gone blank now. A uh, Yeah, that, that Pacifica side uh, would be a bit of an ask. I think a Barbarian is one where you can pull anybody um, who's available um, is, is perhaps more of a, a more realistic um, proposition. Um, Indeed. The um, uh, Simon makes a good point. Yes, look, we've got um, a couple of uh, uh, international friendlies going. We've got France versus Wales. Now, that's that was going to be an interesting one um, because the French Rugby Union and the uh, um, the uh, prem, uh, the uh, top 14 have fallen out around this one because it's outside the window. Um the international window, so it looks so quite. What French team will turn up for that French for that Welsh Welsh friendly is going to be um, uh, interesting as a euphemism I'll use there. Um, Scotland playing uh, Georgia, uh, that, that'll be uh, that's uh, that'll be good to see see uh, for Georgia to be able to peg themselves uh, against them, and then Ireland playing Italy as the Six Nations resumes after let's be honest a very very long layoff. Um, so yes. Uh, there are those games going on. We will, um, I will have my predictions uh, going up probably tomorrow, hopefully, um, on nzsportradio.com. Uh, so, folks, uh, do uh, head over there for those predictions. I'll try and get them up tomorrow um, uh, evening for that. Question mark over France v Wales, because I understand Wales are going to go into extreme lockdown for the next couple of weeks. I don't know how all that is going to affect the uh preparation and possibly travel plans of uh the welsh international rugby team um yeah and there's also talk about uh, i think wales were looking at trying to find a um a london or a uk or an england based uh venue for some of their games because of as you say because of that because the extra restrictions in wales uh the um yeah, let's just, uh, I'll be honest, I'm not on top of all of that at the moment as to why, quite um, what's going on there. Uh, you've got to say, look, there is, and again, another another thing I'm not looking, I've not been on top of, is the raise, is, is what COVID cases uh, rates are like in Europe at the moment. From what I understand, um, from just vague uh, things I've heard, it's on the up. Um, so, yeah, so it's, uh, there could be some question marks as to whether the international season will actually even happen um, in uh, in Europe. Um, the number one is going to be people's safety. Um, and let's, but uh, obviously, we would love for them to happen for us to be able to watch rugby because we just love watching international rugby, let's be honest. Uh, and Simon, you're right. England also playing the Barbarians um, this weekend, which you've got to say, again, with the top 14 the uh, um, uh, going on, I guess it's pro, I guess it's pro 14 um, pre season. Uh, you've got the Gallagher Premiership final this weekend. Um, so maybe actually there are a number of England, English, England, and Pro 14 based players uh, who can actually take part in that very very site. Might be a decent one actually. Thinking about it. Well, a number of players from Wasps have uh, tested positive for COVID nineteen as well. So there's some implications there. And I was uh, listening to Pat Lamb, the uh, Bristol Bears coach, because if one of the teams forfeit, they might have to take their position. And he was rightly saying that you know these teams deserve to be in the finals far more than. You know, we do. So, some really interesting stuff. And I have to say, Paul, um, hats off and, you know, some very commendable uh, initiative from the English RFU. They live stream some of their training sessions on social media. That that got some really good engagement. Uh, you know, my son, um, he was like, Dad, you know, look, check this out. And, and again, you know, this is the sort of innovation you need. Again, it's a very simple form of innovation, just getting more fans engaged. Uh, because, you know, rugby fans, any type of sport fan, what do they want to do? Watch sport. So, you know, that's that's a bit outside box thinking. And also in the modern day, it's not very regularly you see uh, open to public training sessions. So for them to do that, I think, you know, uh, you got to give them credit where credit's due. Well done to the English RFU. So for those people who are unaware, um, the uh, uh, Extra Chiefs versus Wasps is the scheduled... Um, Gallagher Premiership final you know, on this coming weekend. Wasps, as you say, I think they had four more uh, positive cases, uh, I think it was yesterday, uh, amongst yesterday. their playing staff. And you've got to say, look, coming this coming weekend, what kind of team can they put together and what kind of team should they be able, should they be able to put Can they even train this week? 
um, ahead of that game. Uh, it's going to be question marks. Bristol, as you say, are lined up as a replacement. Now, the reason for this essentially is that uh, the Gallagher Premiership is cash-strapped. All these clubs, bar one, make a loss um, normally, okay? Um, so any clawback money that uh, BT would make by them not playing games would be devastating for them. And hence, they will do whatever it takes to play these um, all of their fixtures, including playing three games in a week um, and play midweek games, which, let's be honest, shows you that player welfare um, comes well after after dollars after pounds um, as, uh, for, for those clubs. The only club that does make a profit is Extra Chiefs. Now, Extra Chiefs, the reason they make a profit is their ground is essentially a conference centre that happens to be shaped like a um, rugby ground. And as you can imagine, conferences <laughs> and the big gatherings of people have been impacted by COVID. And hence, their alternate source of income that they use to fund their rugby club also has taken a hit. So I'd expect there's uh, a high chance Extra Chiefs will make a loss this year. So all of the uh, Gallagher Premiership teams um, are being hit seriously financially. Um, and that is why we're seeing these games happen come hell or high water. Um, they will happen. Uh, and even if it is um, basically the tea ladies playing against each other, uh, they'll play a game just to, just, to, just, to, just to meet their TV commercial um, obligations. A um, couple of things in there. Uh, Simon mentions, yeah, that um, Ireland is going into lockdowns. Well, yeah, I think I saw some, some, some tweets around about that again. I don't know the details, but apparently sport will be exempt from the lockdown. Um, which is an interesting one. Yeah, there. very interesting. Professional sport is exempt from COVID-19. That's, that's now, uh, yeah, what can I say? Look, and people say, oh, yeah, well, look, why can they do that and we can't do this? Okay. Part of the reason that you can um, give exemptions around things like professional sport is, number one, it's a small number of people you're having to handle. You're not talking about... Uh, it's When you think about, okay, um, the... Uh, if you're flying over it's the Italian rugby squad, you are um, taking you, you are um, uh, taking uh, basically a group of maybe uh, like 30, 40 people. Um, you're not talking about hundreds of thousands or even millions of people moving around the country doing something, right? So it's a it's a it's a small people. It's a, it's a small number of people that you can contain. Secondly, these sports teams have the cash to be able to do things like. We will hire this entire hotel. We will uh, to actually provide bubbles and space around it, um, and they can pay for extra security. They can pay for extra cleaners. They can pay for these sort of things to allow the bubble to travel safely into a country, um, or to, to allow groups sorry to travel in a bubble through a country and back out again, um, uh, and also pay for the extra number of tests that need to happen and all those sort of things. So when people say, "Oh, why can't?" we have our conference or why can't we play football whilst when those 30 people can? Well, it's because it's only 30 or 40 people. It's not hundreds uh, or it's not thousands across the country that can't, that don't have the cash to spend that sort of thing. Um, it has, the optics are, aren't necessarily very good, um, but those that's the reality um, and behind it. Um, the uh, comment about the All Black squad today. Sorry, I haven't seen the All Black squad today. So I don't actually, uh, I've been uh, counting pieces of paper um, to give you the official count of the election. Um, so, um, uh, so sorry, folks, I've not seen the All Black squad today. Um, but so, yeah, we'll definitely cover uh, So, yeah. Griffey, Duplessis in, and also uh, the Crusaders prop, uh, George. He's in. So two uncut players as cover, one for Joe Moody and for Adi Severe, who's possibly going to be on parental leave. So very excited for Duplessis Kariffi because I, I think he had a tremendous season with the Hurricanes. Um, and yeah, um, probably we'll see another debut, um, just like what uh, Umaga Jensen, another one of the Hurricanes from down Wellington, will quite possibly get into a black jersey. George Bauer, yeah. There we go. Um, Bauer, thank you very much. We've uh, overrun on the hour, but thank you so much for uh, your time. Uh, it's been great having you on the show yet again. Pleasure, Folks, all, mate. 
thank you. Folks, don't forget that our new um, sort of schedule uh, has the uh, swinging from the hip on a Monday night at uh, 8 p.m. That's our that's your quickesting fix for the week. The uh, driving mall show on a Tuesday night at 8 p.m., your rugby fix. Um, and then the standoff show on a Wednesday night at 8 p.m., which is your league fix. Uh, obviously, the NRL coming to its conclusion soon. If there is a sport that you would like to talk about, then please do let me know um, and uh, we can look at uh, putting together shows. I don't know. Are you into judo? Are you into mixed martial arts? Are you into um, kayaking? Are you into windsurfing? Um, what is the sport that uh, you're into? Folks, please um, let me know if you would like to be on a show uh, uh, talking about a sport that you love. Um, as long as you meet the or agree to the channel's um, values of um, respect. I've got oh, dearie, me, one blank now. Respect, knowledge, um, and uh, what's our third one? I've gone blank. Can you remember, Bella? Oh, dear. Um, I, I have, sorry, dude. Uh, yes, uh, yeah. So, sorry, uh, Douglas, I'll, I'll probably get a call from the referees society tomorrow after watching this episode. So, reps, I think personal, just strictly um, professional. I think we need to have a very robust conversation. That's it. <laughs> So yeah, so folks, if you if you're willing to, 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 to stick by the the, the the channel's values, then we'd love to have you uh, uh, to have you as presenters on the show. Uh, happy to sh take you through all of how it all works and um, look after you. So um, do let us know if there are any sports that you would like to talk about. Um, thank you very much again, Boa. Thank you everyone who's joined us in the live chat. It's been a fantastic um, show, and uh, catch you all next week on the Driving Mall Show. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.